Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30. Welcome, 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 church family. And uh, I will admit, and I've admitted often, and those of you that know me know this already, I love questions. I love questions. I, I definitely talk more than I should. I'm definitely guilty of that. But I tend to ask a lot of questions. Maybe I'm just a curious person. But I also think, I believe that questions are powerful. I know that answers are powerful too, but I I think the right questions at times are so powerful and so important. Now, I've learned some things, right? I've learned there are some questions that are not really appropriate. Like after you get beyond a certain age, you just don't ask how old are you. You just don't throw that out there. They don't, if they want to let you know how old they are, they'll tell you, but you don't ask that. Um, you, You don't just casually, so how much you weigh in these days? You don't throw that out there in any circumstance. That's not good. I've also learned, we were talking about this last night, uh, under no circumstance ever will I ask a woman if she's pregnant. I don't care if she's rubbing her belly in the target aisle picking out a stroller. I will not ask her that question. It's just never going to, it never is going to work out good for me. Uh, My daughter, speaking of inappropriate questions, uh, my four-year-old, she sat on my lap yesterday at dinner and asked if there was a baby in my belly. So I thought that was a humbling moment, but uh, I guess kids keep us humble. So... We know those, right? Those inappropriate questions. We're maybe familiar with those. That's it's not what we're going to talk about today. But we are going to talk about hard questions. Um, hard questions. Like, like questions that really cause you to think. Not just those kind of would you rather be invisible or fly or not, not that. But, but real, like hard questions that cause us to wrestle. Uh, hard questions are important and the answers have powerful implications. And so here's what we're going to do. In the middle of our summer, over these next three weeks together, we're going to ask some hard questions. We're going to ask some hard questions. And uh, I'm going to welcome you back to our series, Burning Questions, because last summer, we took three weeks and did this. We took three weeks and did something we won't do the rest of the year. If you're new or visiting, what we're going to do this morning over these next three weeks is very different for us. It won't be like anything else we do the rest of the year. But for three weeks, we're going to dive into some hard questions, some hard questions. And and you may say, well, why? What's the purpose of that? Well, normally our tendency is to run from hard questions, right? Uh, Like in the middle of dinner, when a kid wants to say, where do babies come from? And you're like, isn't this spaghetti awesome, right? You just want to like, let's do something else really quick to not, we, we, we run from hard questions a lot of times, a lot of times, but not for these three weeks. We're going to prayerfully navigate hard questions and seek God's wisdom. And, And why? It's not just to be informed. I, I like information. I think information is important, but that's not the total reason for, for doing this series. It's not just information, but these are the questions I believe, we believe, that many of the people are asking around us. These are the questions our neighbors are asking. These are the questions our friends, maybe you're asking, our friends are asking, the people in your school, the people in your workplace. These are the questions they're asking, so we don't want to just be informed But we believe that wrestling with these questions will help us as we carry out our mission. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, In your hearts, set apart Christ as 
Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So that's what this series is about. We want to be prepared to, to give a reason for hope in our hearts, but we want to do it with gentleness and respect. So we're not running from the hard questions. So here we are, week one. Today's question is this. Would a loving God really send someone to hell? How would you answer that question if someone asked you? If one of your kids, if one of your neighbors asked you. So, so pause for a minute. That's a heavy question. That's a hard question. Why this question? Why would we kick off this series talking about this question? Well, uh, there are a number of influential leaders who famously argued against the existence of hell. The growth of universalism. What is universalism? Uh, in a simplistic definition, it's, it really argues that everyone goes to heaven. And the growth of universalism really states that because God is love, hell is really only make-believe. It's just used to scare us into being good, to motivate us into being good, and no one will really end up there. Listen, we love the idea. I love the idea of grace, extravagant love, and we have trouble reconciling a God who would allow anyone, anyone to suffer eternally. To some, the idea of hell just seems antiquated, old-fashioned, disconnected from who God is. And so it is imperative this morning that we spend time not running from this question, but diving in, finding out what does the Bible say and how does this impact the mission to which we've been called? So church, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? Lord, over these next three weeks, we're, we're, running, we're running headfirst into some tough questions. And, and really our desire now is that you would speak. God, I really have no interest in sharing what I think or what I feel or Lord, I, I would ask now that you would use me and speak through me and that as we open your word, you would transform us, God. You would show us your truth. So, so would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts to receive your truth for us for such a time as this? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. First, uh, before we, we seek to answer this question with the help of God's word, we need some handles we need some handles. We, we need to understand not just what the answer is, but, but how. How do we even arrive at an answer to a question like this? As we ask this question, what should the posture, what should our posture of our hearts be? What should our attitudes be? Because I think this is critical as we seek to answer this question. Listen, here, here, your attitude is just as important as your theology. Your attitude, the posture of your heart matters just as much as your theology. And so, what, what should our posture, what should our attitude be? Psalm 25 says this. It says, He, the Lord, guides the humble in what is right, and He teaches them His way. We believe this. We believe God explains His ways to those who are humble. We can't be arrogant in approaching any conversation. We remain humble and teachable. We guard against a posture of pride in any area of our lives. This isn't just theology we're talking about today. This is people's lives. You don't come into any conversation trying to win an argument. Because in relationships, if your goal is to win an argument, that means someone's lost. And that's no way, that's no way to run a relationship. Someone winning and someone losing. Isaiah 55 says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. Neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
God's ways are different than ours. They're higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. Often, this is what we do. We put God's action into the submission of our judgment. And when we do that, that's a really dangerous, slippery slope. When I don't understand something of God, the problem is mine, not his. And so we engage this question with humility and with a posture that understands that he's God and we are not. And as long as I live, there will be things about God I simply don't understand. And with that, we come to this question. Would a loving God really send someone to hell? In the story of God, if you were to look not at just one verse, not at just one story, not even just at one gospel, if you were to look at the entirety of the story of God, we see a picture of God, a God of divine love, a God of incredible compassion. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about that, the God of generosity, and how we desire to reflect his generosity. We see that throughout the story of God, and at the same time, we also see a God of justice, a God of incredible love and compassion, and a God of justice. We see a God of grace and a God of truth. We see a God of freedom and a God of justice. And we sometimes struggle with reconciling those two things. We we tend to gravitate towards one or the other. I, I know I do. But the Father, God our Father, embodies both grace and truth, freedom and justice. And some have said, as they try to wrestle with what is a really difficult question, some have kind of said, well, the Old Testament is really the God of judgment, and the New Testament is the God of love. And so if hell is ultimately about God's judgment, isn't that really just the Old Testament idea? Well, the challenge with that is that Jesus, we love, believed in hell. He spoke of it frequently. We, we have to wrestle with that. Jesus teaches a lot about hell. If somehow we try to present the New Testament as God 2.0, right? Like, like renewed compassion and a softer, gentler side, then, then what do we do with all of these examples of Jesus speaking about the judgment and justice of God. Craig Groeschel, a pastor and speaker, says it this way, it's impossible for God to be holy unless he is also just. There are 162 references in the New Testament alone about this idea of hell. And Jesus speaks 70 different times recorded throughout the Gospels about the existence of hell. It's difficult to ignore. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew 10, he he speaks of, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both your body and soul in hell. Again, and later in Matthew's gospel, he's speaking to the religious leaders and he calls them, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? That's what Jesus says. In Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching and giving this picture about the end times and about how there will be some that are separated on the right and on the left. And to one, he will say, depart into the eternal fire prepared for those, for the devil and his angels. These are hard words to see, but words that we can't can't ignore. Listen, in Jesus, we see a God of incredible grace and love and compassion. He healed He ministered. He ate with sinners. He cared deeply about the poor and the hurting and the marginalized. If you don't know him today, he stands ready to receive you just as you are. And at the same time, 
we see a God of truth, grace, and truth. So this, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look just at one example one example in the Gospels of Jesus. Because if Jesus taught about it, I, I'm leaning in. I, I care that the whole, the whole uh, Word of God speaks of it, but, but specifically today, I want to hear what Jesus had to say about this idea. And so we're going to do that. We're going to turn to Luke uh, chapter 16. If you have your copy of Scripture, would you turn there with me? Our version event today, we set it up each and every week. It's got some extra Scripture references that we can't get to today. A great uh, resource for you to take with you during the week. But we're going to look at one parable, one story of Jesus in Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19. This is Jesus sharing a story, not just any story, but a story with a, a heavenly meaning, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is, and that's what Jesus is going to tell us here. Uh, Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, literally that's translated, in hell, where he was in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham. Have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Verse 27, he said, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And then verse 31, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord for us today. The story, this story, this parable of Jesus is a warning, an admonition to pay close attention to your eternal status and not necessarily your earthly status, right? Here, Jesus presents two very different people, doesn't he? One who was wealthy, who was dressed in fine clothes, who experienced luxury. He had more than likely a high position when it came to earthly standards. But then the other character, the contrast is the beggar. Lazarus. And he was a beggar. He was covered with sores, which meant he was unclean. He couldn't worship in the temple. He, he couldn't even be around his family or other believers because he would make them unclean. He was an outcast, longing for the scraps that fell from others' plates. The lowest of the low, the kind of person no one accepted. But in all of this, Jesus warns not to neglect eternity. 
There's a question in Mark's gospel that Jesus asks, and I think this parable begs this question. Jesus said it this way, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good is it for their earthly status and position to become so incredibly great, yet at the same time they've neglected their eternal status? That's the question this parable begs. So why? Why would a loving God send someone to hell? That's the question that we're asking today. And biblically, we see hell is a choice. It's your choice. It's mine. A choice that people are allowed to make. God doesn't want anyone to perish. John 3, 16 says that, that God loved the world so much he sent Jesus that anyone, anyone who would believe, God doesn't desire anyone to perish. He grants freedom for people to reject him. Biblically, hell is a choice, a choice to reject heaven. But consider, but before we move on from the story, consider how it ends. Look with me one more time at verse 31. It's here on the screen. Jesus, this is a prophetic word because he's speaking. He's speaking in a parable, but we know something about Jesus that maybe those listening in the moment don't. We know if we keep reading the story that Jesus has come to suffer and die on a cross to fulfill God's mission for him. So he's telling this story, and we know something that's coming in his life that maybe the original audience didn't know. So, so as Jesus says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is a prophetic word because Jesus is speaking as the one who will rise from the dead, right? Right? He's going to be that guy. He's going to be the one who will suffer and pay the price for all sins by being nailed to a cross and then rise again. And so Jesus is speaking before his resurrection and saying these words that even if someone rises from the dead, some will not be convinced. Some will make the choice not to be convinced. And we're experiencing this today all, all around us. Even when presented with the gospel of Christ, even when presented with the evidence of the one who resurrected from the dead, some will not be convinced. And of all the places in scripture, of all the references to hell in scripture, I think this is the picture I want us to see of Jesus saying these words, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. See, there, there's an enemy of our soul who wants to disrupt and destroy and divide. And, and, and literally, the Bible calls him the father of lies. It's the only really title of a father that the enemy's ever given, and it's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. And that's what he does in our life, where God wants to speak truth to our lives. He just constantly, this barrage of, of lies because he's a deceiver. That's what he does. But there's two lies, two lies, the scariest lies in our world right now that I want us to focus on for a minute because I think it's really applicable to this topic. Lie number one is this. It says this, that we are all good people. I got to be honest with you. This one really gets me sometimes. Because <laughs> I, I feel like, I'm using that word really intentionally. I feel like this is true a lot. It feels like that, man, that, that, I, you're a good person and I'm a good person. And isn't that enough? That deep inside we're all good, right? But... God actually says that that's a lie. That's a lie. 
In Romans 3, it says there is no one righteous. None of us on our own. None of us on our own are good. None of us. That we have all sinned, Romans 3 said. Each and every one of us is a sinner. And we fall short of God's glory, of his best. That we're not good on our own. And later in in Romans 6, Paul says it this way. That the wages of sin is death. The wages of a life of sin. Because we're sinners, what, what's, what's the payment for sin in our lives? It's death. Eternal death, but also death right now. Happening all around us. We see it. we experiencing it everywhere. Death and destruction and brokenness, right? That's, that's the consequences of sin in our, our own lives. Because the truth is, we're, we're not. You and I, were not good people. Not on our own. Our righteousness is filthy rags. That we're not capable on our own of being good enough. But lie number two is this. Lie number two that we often believe is that God would never punish me. Listen, listen church. I can't speak enough about the incredible love of God. I won't stop preaching about it. I won't stop talking about it because I don't think we get it. And I understand throughout this summer, we've been talking about the generosity of God. His love and grace poured out for us. But remember, he's a God of grace and truth. He's a God of love and justice. And at the end of it all, in the book of Revelation, Revelation is this picture, the revelation of God as it will be in the end. And the apostle uh, John writes in Revelation 20, he gives us a sobering picture of the final judgment. The final judgment where the devil himself is thrown into a lake of fire. And not just that, But Revelation 20 says this, that each person will be judged according to what they've done. At the final, I'm not going to be your judge. Your neighbor, they're not going to be your judge. At the end of it all, God, God will be the judge. Each and every one of us will be judged according to what we've done. And the lie is that God won't punish me. God won't punish me. That's That's a lie. But see, there's something more. There's something more here today. It's not just the problem of ignoring or minimizing hell. And I got to be honest, I want to do that too. I want to read these passages. I want to flip to the next page. It's not fun to read about that. It's not fun to think about that. But the problem with ignoring or minimizing the reality of hell is not just that it mischaracterizes who God is. It also devalues the work of Christ on the cross. Listen, the reason Jesus came... The reason Jesus came, yes, he came to show us who God is. Yes, he came to teach and perform miracles so that we could experience the kingdom of God here on earth. But his mission was to come and to suffer and die on the cross. Why? Because we aren't good people. Because our righteousness is not enough. And apart from the blood of Jesus being shed for us, we would always be, what did it say in Jesus' story? A great chasm between us and God. But Jesus came. Jesus came to bridge that gap so that we could be in right relationship with God. And if we reject hell, then we reject God's work, Jesus' life and sacrifice on the cross. Again, look, Luke 16, 31, we see Jesus foreshadowing the cross, his mission to give his life so that no person would ever have to experience hell. No one would have to experience that reality. But if there is no hell, then what did Jesus die to save us from? Yes. Yes, hell. Hell is a reality. We see it in Scripture time and time again. 
a place of tears and pain, separation from God. And yes, sadly, it will not be empty. And yes, we can answer with certainty that hell is a reality that we must take seriously. But there's an equally important question today that we must answer. The important question as regards to the reality of hell is this. What are you doing about it? What are we doing about it? If Jesus spent so much time warning us, admonishing us about the reality of hell, not just our earthly status, but our eternal status, then what are we, his faithful believers, doing about it right now? The bottom line, that thing that I want to drive into our hearts and our minds today as we prepare to apply this truth to our lives is this, what we believe about eternity impacts how we live today. That's why this question matters. Not just to answer a debate, not just to prove we know scripture and you don't. That's not it. The reason this question matters is because what we believe about eternity impacts how we live right now, today, in this moment. So the question for us is, what are you doing about it? What difference does it make in our lives? Any conversation about hell must be treated with seriousness and urgency and compassion. We began talking about the posture of our hearts In the posture of our hearts, we should be burdened and broken and overwhelmed with compassion. Our mission as a church is to call us beyond ourselves, beyond our comfort zone, beyond our walls. To show that Jesus is the hope. Jesus made a way. Romans 5 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. That we, we don't have to fear God's judgment because of Jesus. He's made a way for us. Do you know what Jesus said? We spent this time in Luke 16. Do you know what Jesus said right before this story? Like flip the page over in your Bible to the left and we read another story, not just one, three different stories in Luke chapter 15. They're pretty well known. You might have heard them. He tells three stories. The first is about a lost sheep. There was 100 sheep, but one that were lost. The next is about coins, 10 measly coins. And one of them got lost. The next is a picture of two sons. One son that appeared, appeared to be righteous and do everything on his own. But the other one who rejected his father and chose his own path, he was lost. In each of these stories, it highlights the one who is lost. So so remember, right before this depiction and this understanding of our eternal status and the importance of taking seriously, Jesus tells these three stories. And you know what the common theme of these three stories in Luke chapter 15 was? The heart of God for the one who is lost. This is the picture of the Father Jesus is giving us, a God of truth and grace, a God of incredible passion and love and justice. God's heart for the one was so great that he sent his only son 
to suffer the price of sin on the cross. John 10.10, Jesus said it this way, the thief, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is why we want people to know Christ. It's not just to avoid hell one day, but to experience goodness and his holiness and his healing right now to live life to the full starting today. Because what we believe about eternity impacts how we live today. The question for us, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? How does it impact the way you interact with those around you? How does it impact how you pray? How does it impact the urgency you feel in your heart? Towards your own soul, maybe, yes, and to those around you. This past week, I had the opportunity to sit across the table from Nathan. He's a part of our church family. He's gotten connected and engaged and, and serves in a, a couple different capacities here. But at our men's gathering on Tuesday morning, I got the opportunity to sit across from him and hear his story. His story, his life, is a hard story. It's a story of a lot of pain, a lot of brokenness, even some addiction. Specifically, 26 years he shared with me of addiction in his life. Some would say a life destined for hell. But praise the Lord, that's not Nathan's story anymore. As we sat there on Tuesday morning and I just heard, I understood that Nathan received God's gift of forgiveness in his life. He believed that his life, even though he believed at the moment his life was destined for eternal pain and punishment, he wasn't good. He believed that. He had hurt everyone in his life. But he surrendered. He surrendered to Christ, to Christ's work on the cross. And he began to surround himself with other people, other people who would love him and support him. And, and today, today, Nathan's experiencing John 10.10, 10, true life, life to the full. And yes, yes, the promise of eternal life one day. Today, he gets to help walk. He, he's been almost five years now sober, five years clean, and he gets to help walk with other people in their journey towards experiencing life today. John 10.10, 10, the reality, the assurance that we have in Christ. So how about you? <laughs> how about you? on a week with a hard message, on a week with a hard question. How about you? I'm gonna ask you to stand. Would you do that with me for just a minute? In just a minute, we're gonna sing. In just a minute, we're gonna take just a couple quiet moments to pray. But before we do that, I, I just believe there's, there's two kinds of people here today that might need to respond. There's lots of kinds of people, but I, I believe there's two kinds of people today that may need to respond to the message. The first is this, someone who feels far from God. You feel stuck, you feel lost, you feel hopeless, you feel angry, and today there is really good news for you. The good news is that, is that you are the one. <laughs> that, that the gospel I read says that, 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 that God sent Jesus to leave the throne room of heaven for the one who was lost. He loves the 99 and we celebrate that. Oh, that's good news. But the Father's heart today is there's one that's lost and he loves you. He loves you. And today, if that's you, 
you can make the decision today to just receive his love, to receive his gift paid for you. That on your own, you and I, we're not good. We're not good enough. We never can be. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus paid the price. And today you can respond to that. But there's a second person, a second group of people maybe today who need to respond. This is the person who just feels burdened today. That question, what are you doing about it? And your answer is, I don't know. And maybe today the Lord wants to break your heart for what breaks his. Maybe he wants to open your eyes to see the hurts and the pains of people in your life that you just haven't seen before. Maybe he wants to raise up in you an urgency and a heart and a passion to be his hands and feet. Maybe today you wanna pray for the one, the one who's lost. So I'm gonna invite you now, would you close your eyes for a minute and we're gonna carve out just a sacred moment, an opportunity. We're gonna pray. We're gonna respond by singing a song. But some of us need to respond today in a very specific way. We have some altars here at the front of the church and, and they're just a place to pray. They're just a place. Sometimes, sometimes the posture of our hearts needs to be reflected outwardly through, through kneeling, through a posture of response. And so today, some of you, maybe you're one of those two groups of people and you just wanna to respond today. You're welcome to come. As I'm praying, as we're singing, you're welcome to come. Members of our prayer team, they're gonna to come too. They're gonna to kneel. They're gonna pray. You won't be alone. You won't be the only one. But today, I just wanna invite you to come and respond. If God's speaking to you, if his spirit is ministering to your heart, if you're being prompted in some way today, you're welcome to respond. God, thank you today for good news. We close this message talking about good news because you're a God who's not far from us. You're a God who's not distant. You're not a God who said, just figure it out on your own. You came to show us the way in, in Jesus. And today we, we have the choice. So I pray for the one today who feels so alone and so lost and so confused. I pray today that you would draw them near, that they would know the heart of the Father is to come after the one who's lost. And some of us today, our hearts need to reflect your heart. Our hearts, if we're honest, is not always for the one. Sometimes we're a little preoccupied. We're a little too consumed with ourselves. And today, I believe you want to give us your heart. So Lord, we, we respond now to your voice. Speak to us. Speak to us. We're listening. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.